You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Boy, it's been quite a week since I was here two weeks ago. A week ago, I was mushing dogs across the Alaska prairie with an enthusiastic grand sled in the sled ahead of me. Talk about excitement and joy, oh my gosh. He was over, and I don't have any pictures, I decided not to inflict you to 47 pictures, and I couldn't just do two. But you know, while I was doing that kind of stuff, this amazing Alaskan adventure, halibut fishing and glacier walking and all those things, the world was going crazy, wasn't it? Who's not seen the pictures? Taliban fighters on the streets of Kabul. This man, we'll have to get to his name, Abdul Ghani Bardar, is now one of the leading figures in the world scene. He doesn't quite dress the way most world scene leaders do, because he represents a very different culture. People desperate to get out of Kabul, using anything they can do, anything they can do to get on an airplane to get out. This airplane landed, and before they could hardly get the doors open, it was mobbed by people. Pilots closed the door to try to get out. C-117 Air Force taxiing to the runway with desperate people literally running alongside, hanging on the airplane. Some of them hang on and falling to their deaths. They were so desperate to get out. This was the inside of that airplane. 640 people packed in that airplane as it flew out of Kabul this week. What a picture. On the floor of that C-117, this little guy covered up by an airman's jacket. He was, the, he was a flight commander. Gave up his jacket. And there's no heating in these airplanes. They're cold up there. To let this little boy be covered up. You saw that video of the handing up the baby to the Marines up on the wall. And the Marines, battle-hardened veterans. I just love this picture. Now, their lives are on the line. But it sits down to comfort a baby. Those pictures are just incredible. The Haiti earthquake, again. 7.2 this time, 7.0 last time, 10 years ago. Destruction everywhere, and a hurricane came in right on top of it. The world's going crazy. Earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars, climate change. Oh my God, we're going to die day after tomorrow. The message comes. COVID spiking again. 247 people in intensive care as of yesterday, record in Oregon with COVID. And when I think of COVID, I think of Bill DeLambert. Bill and Rebecca were part of our congregation for a long time. He was an elder. She was on the worship team. They're over at Good Shepherd now. Amazing people of God. This is Bill just a few days ago. Bilateral pneumonia, seriously damaged lungs, on a ventilator at Providence ICU, induced coma, 
all kinds of meditation. I mean, this is my friend. This is a picture of COVID for me. He's off the ventilator. He's on what they call an ECMO machine. And it's a, it's a machine that takes blood out of his body, runs it through a machine to oxygenate it because his lungs can't do it. His lungs are seriously damaged. Rebecca and I were texting back and forth this morning. He's off the ventilator, but the ECMO is there. He's got, they, the ECMO machine now has a blood clot in it. They had to change out the ECMO machine last night. The biggest issue, there's a blood clot in his leg and his lungs are shot. She said, please pray for my husband. Nevia, their little, their daughter, she, Becca's going to go to see him today. The daughter will not. And Nevia is saying, why can't I see my daddy? That's the picture of COVID. Let's stop and just pray for that family right now. Lord, I think of Bill, I think what a magnificent man of God he is, now in serious jeopardy through this dread disease that has attacked him horribly. Pray for Rebecca as she goes in that she can have conversation with him. Pray he will not go into delirium again. I pray he will not throw up again. The liquids are now life-threatening as well as life-giving. And I pray for Nevia, Lord. What a horrible thing not to be able to see her daddy. I pray you work healing in his body and peace in that family and in their friends that he'll be able to soon come home, even if he's on the machine, so that they can be together again. Do your healing work, we pray, for him and many others who are in that same kind of situation. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? Jesus walked into the temple, walked to the disciples, came to call his attention to the buildings. Do you see all these things? I tell you, not one stone will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Disciples, wow. Tell us, when will these things happen? What will be a sign of your coming in the end of the age? Sound like the end of the age, right? This kind of stuff. Watch out, no one deceives you. For many will come in my name and say, I am the Messiah. They'll deceive many. You'll hear wars, rumors of war. Yep, that's what we're hearing. You see it, we're not alarmed. It must happen. The end is not yet. Nation rise against nation. Yep, Iran versus Iraq. China versus the United States. Kingdom against kingdom. Be famines. Yep, earthquakes. Yep, Haiti. All these things are being in birth pangs, and it goes on. That's the passage. This is the temple. The Los Angeles simulation team put this together a while back to look. This is from the southwest, looking up toward the temple. Beautiful building on the foundation there. Coming a little closer, you can see as we come up here on that southwest side, you see right in front of us Robinson's Arch, a little bit to the north is Wilson's Arch, and there are stairways down the south to get up onto the temple right there. If you've been in Jerusalem, you know what that is. That is what we call the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall, and you can visit that today. I've been in this site. This is a picture that I took. This is where it looks today. That's the foundation of the temple. That's not the temple. That's just the foundation. Huge stones. And if we go around in this simulation toward Robinson's Arch and go up inside the entrance steps there underneath the foundation, just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful building. Beautiful building. Up on top, looking toward the south, is one of the porticos on the temple square there. And if you go inside the porticos, they're, again, just beautiful places. Herod's temple is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Incredible place. Looking north from the portico, we see the temple itself, the temple proper. And this is the, Jerusalem, this is the temple model of the Jerusalem Hotel but you can walk around and see what it looked like today. And this beautiful building that was the center where God meets earth, Jesus said, it's coming down. 
it's coming down. I think you're one of those disciples and you hear that. It's what? Let's put it in context. Going back to the end of chapter 23, where uh, we went yesterday, last week with Gabe, Drusum, Drusum, Jesus says, You who kill the prophets and so those who sent you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. Look at your house. It's left a desolation, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is the Lord, he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then he says, he left the temple walking away. And he goes to Mount of Olives. Now here's the thing. You hyperlink back to that same thing happening in Ezekiel 8 through 11. As God takes Ezekiel back to show him what's going on in Jerusalem. And what we see there, those hearts are devoted to their vile images and detestable idols. I will bring down on their heads what they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. Then the cherubim with the wheels beside them spread their wings, and the glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped on the mountains east of it. And what does Jesus do? He goes out of the temple, across the Kidron Valley, and up on the Mount of Olives. The doom notes are sounding, because the last time Babylon came in and destroyed the temple, and what Jesus is saying, that same thing's going to happen again. Yikes. Not one stone is going to be left on top of another. So Jesus departs the temple, announcing its destruction. Now again, that's like, you know, we're looking for our nation, we're looking at the White House or the Pentagon, and we're saying it's coming down day after tomorrow, or it seems like. It's, oh my God, literally, what is going on? This is an artist's rendition of what might be happening in the siege of Jerusalem, what Jesus is talking about here. Battles going on, millions of people are killed around there, and people are literally sacrificed on the altar inside the temple square. And you can see today some of those stones that have been thrown down. This is on the south side of the temple mount. You can see these stones. You can see the tourists back in the background just to give you a picture of how big those are. It's all coming down, Jesus said. Not one stone to be left in the other. Disciples ask two questions. First question, when will these things happen? Second question, what would be the sign of the coming of the end of age? Now the question is, are those two different questions or one question? And what I'm going to suggest to you is they really are two questions, and here's why. When I look at this, when will these things happen? When will these things happen? Toward the end of the passage, down to chapter 24, verse 34, he's concluding this section of his speech. He said, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. That's the same these things. So I'm going to suggest to you as verses 3 through 35 are talking about the destruction of the temple and the things surrounding that. The other question is, what is this generation? And this generation could be a tribulation generation, it could be a type of people, this evil generation, or it could be the people who are listening to his speech. Well, but you look back in verse 20, chapter 23, he just said just a minute ago, all these things will come on this generation. He's talking about woe on the scribes and the Pharisees. So I think this generation is the people listening. I think when will these things happen? 
I think what he's saying there is he's saying it will be in the generation immediately following Jesus. So Jesus is crucified in 33 AD. So a generation is, you know, 40-ish years. So it's saying in the next 40 years or so, all these things are going to happen. All these things are going to happen. But then at verse 36, he continues. And what he says here, they say, what will be the sign of your coming the end of the age? And in verse 36, he says this. Now about that day, not these days, but that day, the hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, only the Father, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So clearly he's talking about that second question. And Jesus, who said this will happen within this generation, now says, Jesus says, I don't know when that's going to happen. See the difference in the two? When he's talking about the destruction of the temple, he's saying it'll happen in this generation. But then he's talking about the coming of the Son of Man himself. He says, I don't know when it's happening. Because he's laid aside his omniscience to live a perfectly human life. He doesn't know the date of the second coming. He knows it's going to happen, but he doesn't know when. So the second question, I think the answer is, Jesus looks to his second coming at an unknown time. In this generation, all these things will happen. But in an unknown time, could be 40 years, could be 4,000 years for the second coming of Jesus. That's what he looked for. Now let's dig down a bit. The so-called signs of the times. Let's look at them. Jesus answered and said, watch out, no one deceives you, for many will come in my name. That's the first sign. People coming and claiming to be the Messiah. Can you think of recent candidates for Messiah? I think of President Obama, 2008 campaign. He's presenting himself as the hope of the world. That's messianic message. Donald Trump, make America great again. Same thing, elect me, I will clean out the swamp. That's messianic message. We've had that same kind of thing happen regularly with political and technological leaders, false messiahs. We've had religious people come and say, I'm the messiah. That's not as popular these days because religion is as popular as politics these days. A second one, wars, rumors of wars. <laughs> I don't have to tell you about that. Nation will rise against nation. China and the United States right now are not throwing lethal things at each other, but they're bumping each other really hard. Striving for dominance in the Pacific Ocean. Taiwan is the center of that fight right now. Hong Kong is the center of that fight right now. That's nation against nation. Not lobbying lethal things, but Afghanistan falling is a part of that thing. There will be famines and earthquakes. Yeah. <laughs> Do we have to talk about that here in Oregon when we just burned half our state? California's got the biggest fire in its history going on right now. Drought everywhere, earthquakes, Haiti, other places. You'll be handed over, be persecuted and put to death. Now, we're not getting persecuted here in the United States, but check out the people in Afghanistan right now. Check out the people in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Check out the people in Sri Lanka and many other places. Why are we focused on Afghanistan right now? For the simple reason there are Americans there. 
We're not giving any attention whatsoever to very similar things happening in other parts of the world. Why? We only care about Americans. We don't care about other people who are going through the same and worse as what's happening in Afghanistan right now. It's all over. Signs of the time. Many will turn away from the faith. Deconstruction is big news right now. I've been listening to the podcast Rise and Fall of Mars Hill for obvious reasons, having written books with Mark Driscoll. They just did the thing on Josh Harris. Josh Harris wrote, I Kissed Dating Goodbye a generation ago, went back as pastor of a megachurch back in Baltimore area. His dad is from this neighborhood. He grew up right here on this side of town. And then in 2015, he resigned his pastorate. 2019, he resigned his marriage. 2019, he resigned his Christianity. And he just offered a course on how to deconstruct your faith. It's everywhere. False prophets will appear. Lots of those things running around. Love of most will go cold. We've seen a level of hatred and cancellation going on. I mean, just incredible. It's signed to the times. Gospel preached the whole world. Has that happened? Has that happened? So you have to think, what does the whole world mean to the people listening to Jesus? They're not talking about people in Central America. They're not talking about people in Mongolia. What they are talking about people is the known world at that point. That's what whole world means. And what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. He says in verse 23, the gospel is in preached to every creature under heaven. This is Paul writing in about 62, 63 AD probably. And he's saying the gospel's gone to the whole world. When you read Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, and you see the list of nations that are represented there at Jewish Pentecost, the festival, it's every nation in the world. It's just geographically the circle of the world. The gospel has gone to the entire nation within that first generation. Now, another thing, when you enlarge the scope, there's a lot of world it hasn't gone to yet, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's speaking to those people. And the tenth one is the end will come. And what I'm suggesting to you is the end here is the end of the temple. Every stone will be thrown down. And he goes on. You see, saying the holy place, the abomination of desolation, and the holy place, of course, of the temple. What's the abomination of desolation? Well, hyperlink back to Daniel, a series we did just recently, and Epiphanes, the Hellenistic general under Alexander the Great, who came into Jerusalem, put Greek gods in the temple, and sacrificed a pig on the altar just to desecrate it, and Epiphanes. What Jesus is talking about, I think, as it turns out, is Titus and the Roman soldiers that are going to come and put siege on Jerusalem about 67 are going to destroy the temple in 70 AD. But John talks about something else in 1 John. He says several times, but this is 1 John 4, every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is the spirit of the Antichrist. And you have heard is coming and even now is in the world. So what he's talking about, the abomination that causes desolation, are Antichrists. People are in place of Jesus and substituting their message for his, looking forward to the Antichrist who is coming. So coming back to our passage, I think Matthew 24, the sign of the times, is that first generation. It's the coming crisis in Judea, the siege of Jerusalem, 
which is going to last two or three years, and it's going to be absolutely horrible. Absolutely horrible. So bad that Jesus says, when that comes, get out of town. And in fact, many Christians heeded his warning and got out of town. And then after the temple was destroyed, they were able to come back and minister. The people had been so damaged in the terrible siege of Jerusalem. And it also speaks to the destruction of the temple, which literally, the stones were burned. The meeting place of God and man has been completely destroyed in 70 AD. It's a catastrophe. It hasn't happened for them since 586 BC. So, let me do a graph here and show you what I think is happening. We've got Jesus ascending, that's 33 AD, up to heaven be at the right hand of the Father. And we've got a picture of him coming back, second coming, which he's talked about and is clear in the New Testament. This is what we call the church age. This is where we live now. Prior to Jesus coming, we're under the nation of Israel, is the primary mediator of God's working. And we look ahead to what is called the millennium time of peace and righteousness on this earth with Jesus reigning from Jerusalem, which I think is going to happen. Some of my not-so-godly friends believe that'll be the new earth, new heavens and new earth, but they're not very godly people. You want to listen to me, not them, right? <laughs> no, they're really, really great people who are what we call amillennial. Greg Beale is a good friend of mine who believes it's written great, great commentaries in Revelation. And me others, N.T. Wright has a little different perspective. But I think there'll be a millennium there. I think God will keep his promises and there'll be regathering of Jews and a filling of this earth. Under Israel, under Mosaic Covenant, kosher, temple sacrifices, uh, circumcision, all those are things that are done by the nation of Israel as a way of living out godly life in that day. We're not under the Mosaic Covenant anymore. We're under the inaugurated New Covenant. So we live in a place where we're loyal to Yahweh. We trust what he says even when it makes no sense. We do righteousness and justice in our community and out of that to the world and we look forward to the coming of Messiah. That's the basic of the new covenant written on the heart and we live by the power of the Holy Spirit. We look forward to a day when the new covenant will be inaugurated completely and there'll be the regathering of Israel and the nations will worship Jesus under his rule. This is what I'm calling the signs of the times. And the, this generation, remember, can be the tribulation generation, and that's one understanding, that when the signs of the times take off, that means Jesus' return is coming quickly, and we're hearing a lot of people do that right now. They're looking at what's going around, and they're doing prophecy updates and things like that. It's, oh my God, Jesus is near, be ready! And, the, and I think what's happening is that's not what Jesus is talking about. I don't think that's his primary referent. I think his primary referent is the siege of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. These things, from verse 3 through verse 35, is the destruction of the temple. So I'd put this together, but what I do think is this sign of the time in this generation and everything he talks about happens between 33 AD and 70 AD. Every one of those signs of the times have been fulfilled completely. But I think that's a pattern for life until his second coming. So when I look around and see this stuff happening today, I say, yep, 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 Jesus told us about that. Not surprising. And I think it's also pointing to a coming great tribulation. So when I look at the picture, I think it is the first generation coming. But I also think there'll be signs of the time that'll be every generation events, and that's where we are today, 
looking forward to a final time when they will take off and a final tribulation. So that's why I put things together. Let's think about that. Immediately as to distress those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. Stars will fall from sky. Well, that sounds like the end of the world, doesn't it? But that sure sounds like the second coming of Jesus. Sun dark and all that kind of stuff. But there's something I want you to notice when you look really closely. What is that? What is that? Come on, it's not hard. What is that? It's a quotation mark. What does that suggest? Go look where it's quoted from. It's quoted from Ezekiel 13. Actually, it should be Isaiah 13. I've got the wrong name there. That should be Isaiah 13. There it is. Stars of the heaven and their constellation, not sure light, rising suddenly dark, and new moon will give us light. That's what he's quoting. That's what Jesus is quoting. What's it about? It's about Babylon. So what he's saying, what is that about? It's about the judgment of Babylon. When did that happen? Well, that happened in 539 B.C. It was abandoned in 275 B.C. When did the sun go out? When did the stars fall from it? Well, see, that's what we call apocalyptic language to describe with big language what happened in history. And I think what's happening and what Jesus uses this language to talk about Jerusalem, what he's saying here, Jerusalem has become Babylon. Remember, Babylon's that symbol of the anti-God, pleasure-seeking, businesses-everything, militaristic empire. And he's saying Jerusalem has become Babylon. It's a sword of judgment on what should be the city of God. So I think this is not the case. I think, in fact, when he does this, he's actually talking about Jerusalem, and he's putting this Babylonian apocalyptic language to describe the city that should be welcoming him instead of killing him. How about this? The Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory? Well, that's the end of the world, isn't it? Son of Man coming in the clouds and glory? But see, again, that's a quotation. What's that a quotation from? It's a quotation from Daniel 7. Vision night, I looked, and there before I was like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. There's the phrase. He approached the ancient days, led into presence, had given authority, glory, and sovereign power. What's Jesus talking about here? What's Daniel talking about here? This is talking about the son of man coming up to God. This is not talking about the son of man and coming back to earth. So when I put this back in the passage here, Son of Man coming, because of quoting Daniel 7, it's talking about the exaltation to the right hand of the Father over all the hostile powers. When did that happen? Well, that happened at his ascension, 33 AD, Pentecost, is when he ascended the right hand of the Father, where now he reigns over his people and brings his good news of his kingdom to the entire world. So I think it's not talking about primarily about the last day, I think it is talking primarily about his ascension, the fact that Jesus ascended right now and all nations can come and become part of the people of God without becoming Jewish, without doing kosher and circumcision and, and those things. One more. He'll send his angels a loud trumpet. They'll gather elect from the four winds, the end of the heavens. What are the angels? 
Well, the word there is anglos, and if you look up in a Greek lexicon, the first meaning of anglos is a human messenger serving as an envoy. What's he talking about here? I don't think he's talking about angels doing miraculous things. I think what he's talking about is messengers, that is you and me. The disciples who are hearing his message say, you'll gather his elect from all over the world. In fact, that happened. I think that's a first generation thing, primary referent. But it's true for all the generations. But then he says, verse 36, about that day, what does he say about that day? I have no idea when it's coming. What's he talking about here? The day of his return to establish his kingdom and do judgment. He's saying, I don't know when that's going to happen. So I think this is what's happening. It'll be an unknown time at the end of the age. And that day is the day of the Lord, which is a major theme in the Old Testament. And what it's talking about is him coming back to reign and rule. And I think that's the millennium. The day of the Lord includes Messiah's appearing and reign. It includes the resurrection of the dead. It includes the new heavens and new earth. That day, Jesus says, I don't know when that's going to happen. And so what he's doing, he's disconnecting the destruction of the temple from the day of his second coming. I think that's the way it works. Now, whew, that's a lot, wasn't it? He gives us four lessons. And this is what I want you to hear. I want you to hear it well. Four lessons. The first one is what? Watch out that no one deceives you. What's he saying? Don't let people deceive you. Lots of deception going on. What is the primary instrument of deception in our world today? It's right here. That picture speaks more powerfully the deceptive power of what's going on in our world today than anything I know. A couple sitting on the steps somewhere staring at their phones. And that deception is, unless you're constantly on your phone or device, that you're missing out on everything important. And what happens is, when you spend your time on the phone and the stuff that's coming through that, you're always led into, oh my God, look what's happening. It's always leading to anger, fear, the end of the world, and you're completely helpless, and it... Because you never stop and process things, you never see a message of beauty and hope, unless you really look for it. It leads you to despair, to numbness, and hopelessness. That's the primary deception in our world today, it seems to me. A second message. See that you're not alarmed. <laughs> really? Really? I'm supposed to stay calm when I see, you know, all this stuff happening. I see prophets predicting the end, and they're doing it in the name of Jesus. I see political upheaval everywhere. I see natural disasters going on. I see failure of Christianity at every point, it seems like. And I'm supposed to stay calm? Jesus says, yeah, exactly. Because what he's telling us in every age is expect things to go bad. It's not stop the presses. Oh yeah, here we go again. And what he's saying to us, who are members of his kingdom, is we have a message of hope in the midst of a horrible world. And what Satan's voice wants to do is draw us off into the destruction of this world and say, your God's not doing crap. 
Your God is helpless. Your God doesn't care. And then we miss what Jesus is doing. See, and the third thing is stand firm to the end. Stay faithful to God because he is at work. Stand firm to the end. Live for Jesus in a world where that increasingly is looked at as stupid. A fourth message. The gospel of the kingdom will preach the whole world. And I think that's what we're doing in this age, just like the people did in that first generation. So what we do there is we preach on, to use my phrase. We proclaim the Jesus story in deed and word. And this isn't some crazy stuff. It's just telling, I like this Jesus. It's just telling people who he is and what he stood for. You know what? Jesus is still an incredibly attractive figure. He is still an incredibly powerful metaphor, but he's real. He's not just a metaphor. And the stage beyond that is, I want to be like this Jesus. I don't want to be like the narcissistic Satan. I don't want to be like the selfish leaders that are so common, power-hungry and power-abusing. I want to be like Jesus uses power to serve others. See, and that's the preach-on message that we have here at Grace Community Church. And that's the message here. How should we live? Worship team coming up here. We're going to sing about this in a minute. One thing I want to do is avoid end-time absorption. I'm seeing more Christian churches saying this is the sign of the end, and they're calling us into absorption in prophecy charts, news feeds, and that kind of thing. And it comes a lot of different brands, and I think that's not the thing to do. That's what Jesus didn't tell us to do. But also avoid end-time apathy, because what the news cycle does is numb us out, and we just don't care anymore. Oh, he'll never come. That's the end of Matthew 24. Is, where, is he, where is he coming? He's not going to come back. And we start ignoring the reality of God's judgment. Quit trying to calculate the dates. Like, quit it. He didn't give us these signs to give us and so we can calculate the date he's coming. It's so that we can know what's going on until he comes. Very different atmosphere. And if I can say it very clearly... Watch. Not just watch for his coming, but watch what he's doing right now. It's easy to miss what Jesus is doing. So we anticipate his coming, and we evaluate our time based on Jesus. And see, one of my commitments, I refuse to honor anything that dishonors Jesus. One of my evaluates, I refuse to honor anything that dishonors Jesus. And I use that to evaluate what's going on in my world around me. And I look for beauty. I look for transcendence. I look for hope. I look for reality. When most of the news is about despair and destruction and dirtiness, those kinds of things. Dejunk your faith. I can get real personal here. We're not called to save America. Not as Christians. That's not the church's mission. Our job here is to give the good news of the kingdom to people and then do good in the country for sure but we're not called here to save America and there's two different ways whether you're more liberal or more conservative about what that save America means that's not our message this is me peak speaking and lastly live in messianic hope Gwen Adams 
friend of mine up in Alaska runs Priceless Ministry, put this on her Instagram feed just recently, a couple days ago, I asked for permission. This is her prayer. As dozens of messages reach our American soil of fellow Christians, missionaries, and nonprofit organizations who know their lives will be likely ending soon, she's in Afghanistan. I'm struggling between anger and sadness, Gwen said. For thousands of Afghani girls being taken by forces wise for Taliban soldiers, my heart is broken. She does sex trafficking work. She knows what she's talking about. For thousands of Americans trapped behind enemy lines depend on the good graces of terrorists to get to the airport and flown home, I am anxious, Gwen said. I could go on. I'm taking my fear and anger to the cross. God covered the disastrous missteps of our leaders whose callous decisions catered to political perception over loss of human life had led us to this unimaginable place. Protect my brothers and sisters in Christ, every single one, no matter what nationality. Give us courage to keep watching and refuse to accept defeat. Keep us awake to pray. Give us opportunity to embrace the families of those trapped behind enemies line. We need you, Jesus. We simply need you. Amen to Gwen's prayer. Tim Keller posted, If there's no day of judgment to account for the wrongs of the world that people have gotten away with, where, what hope is there for the world? See, for a lot of people, God doesn't judge. Yes, he does. And if he doesn't, the other side of that, if there is a day of judgment, what hope is there for me? Because I'm not one of the perfect good guys. And his response is, Jesus is the answer for both of those questions. For those of you in despair, there is a day of judgment coming. When people have to give account before God. But for you and me who know that we've got lots of sin in our own lives, lots of failure, lots of destruction we have done, where's the hope? They're both in Jesus. The good news of the gospel goes both directions. Another Tim Keller post this week. I'm going to judge my circumstances by Jesus' love. Not Jesus' love by my circumstances. Brilliant way to say it. He's so good in these statements. How do you judge what's going on? And I call us all in light of what Jesus said in Matthew 24. Don't be deceived. Stay calm. Preach on. Be faithful. Don't judge Jesus' love by the circumstances. Satan is the prince of this world, not Jesus at this point. So we look to the cross. And that's where our hope comes from. Let's sing about this. We look forward to the day of coming. But as Jesus told us, until that day, and nobody's going to miss him when he comes back. Nobody's going to miss him when he comes back. This is not some he's sneaking in kind of stuff. He's coming with power. We look forward to that day. But until that day, his four lessons. Yeah, I want you to remember. What's the first one? Don't be deceived. The deceiver is very accurate and in our world. It's very subtle and it's very attractive. You don't have to be having intimate sex in order to be a real person. You don't have to be up on the latest events. You don't have to know the latest TikTok video. You don't have to, whatever it is. Not everything is breaking news. Second was, what? This is a big one. Stay calm. Yeah, the world's falling apart. People are getting killed. It may be us. 
There's going to be a big fight downtown, apparently, between Antifa and the Proud Boys today. We're missing some people here because they're police officers down there instead. Is stuff going bad? Yeah, big time. Are people dying of COVID? Yes. Are there people putting on, you know, you know, no muzzle on me and those kind of battles? Calm down, Jesus says. That's a message to all of us. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Jesus really is the answer. Preach on. That's his call to us. That's Matthew 24, until the day of his second coming. Sean and Jay will have a lot more to say about that, but we look forward to that day. But in the meantime, we're going to follow the way of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I just keep finding myself thinking that you call us not to save America by whatever political strategy, more liberal, more democrat. You've called us to do foster parents night out. You've called us to go into our day of service on Saturday and serve the people around us in the name of Jesus. And we want to do that. We're going to be a community where broken people can find hope and healing, and we're going to do that. We're going to be a place where sinners who have done horrible things can find forgiveness and newness. Because that's your message, Jesus. Holy Spirit, show us those places where we fall prey to the Satan's temptations, to the serpent's hissing voice, and think we're up on the latest. Help us hear your voice, see your working, because we want to be found faithful in the day of your coming, however that happens. So I pray your power in us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Go change the world. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.